Hey, everyone. Today we have two really great movies with three great guests. And there are a few things in common between these. One is the name Justin. The, the other is these are actors who have moved behind the camera. Justin Chan, who we've talked to before at No Film School many times and is a you know frequenter of our site as well as Sundance, as well as the festival circuit. And you may know him as a performer. He has a new film, Blue Bayou, which he stars in, wrote and directed. It is a powerful, deep film about issues that confront immigrants, Americans who are being deported. And it's a really intense experience. And we got to talk to him about making this film and all that went into it and his just general DIY bootstrap approach, which is part of why we love Justin. And then on the other side, we have another Justin, uh, Justin Long, who is also a performer a hysterical one who you've seen in countless things, who with his brother has been writing for years, waiting for the right moment for them to come forth with a feature. Lady of the Manor is their feature film. It is hilarious. And I don't say that lightly. Melanie Linsky and Judy Greer, who star in it, are two of the most talented comedic actors. And enjoying them in these leads, it feels like Christian and Justin really got the opportunity to let these two sink into it. It was fun to talk to them about the influences, influences they didn't even realize they had. But when I brought them up, they were like, oh, yeah, that probably played a role. So anyway, I've talked too long because as usual, you're going to get a lot more value from all of these fine folks talking about the movies they made. So here we go. Justin, it's good to see you again. Last time I talked to you was at Sundance. You may not remember yeah. 2019 for Miss Purple. <laughs> nice. And I know you know Ryan. Yes. I know you and, yes, and I know Ryan and, very well. And Mr. Ku go way back. So <laughs> it's really exciting to have you and to talk to you again about this movie, especially because, you know, we've been watching you as you've moved on. And I'm curious, you know, after Miss Purple, this was you. You must have jumped right into this. Was this kind of bubbling in your mind at the time? Were you working on it? Or where were you with this? <laughs> this was actually ready before, before Miss Purple. But uh, I was waiting. Films get, take so long to get made that, that, you know, I had to make a film in between. So this was ready to go even before Miss Purple had come out. And were you, you know, was this always going to be you starring in it? Did, was that always your plan? It's a very, no. I mean, this, no, okay. Yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, it's a, you know, obviously it's a heavy role and it's quite challenging. And um, I had no desire to, to be in it, but because this movie has issues and topics that have some sort of legislative implications involved, you know, I just, it's hard to ask an actor to be a part of something beyond like the release. So I felt I could be responsible for that. And, and also, um, you know, also like I'd lived with this story for so long that it felt hard to just hand it off to somebody when it came down to it. Uh, yeah. It's so personal, gut-wrenching, human and intense and all of that. And it's all you like, you're right. You wrote it, you're directing it, you're in it. How do you, I've asked other writer directors who appear in their work before, how do you create a, an environment where you can feel safe 
You can trust the people around you. Do you have people who watch your performance that you confide that you're like, Hey, did that take work? Or like, how do you like, and how do you, and like your dynamic with your DP, all of that. Like I'm fascinated by how you juggle the balls on set. Yeah. Most of the people who came, you know, all the department heads are people I've worked with. You know, um, I work with usually the same people from, from, from project to project. So there's a comfort level there. You know, my DPs, I had two DPs on this. I trust both of them with my life. So, you know, that was, you know, a big confidence factor. But mostly, like, I, I do more preparation if I'm going to be in front of the camera. I t- try to take care of any possible thing that I know I can take care of before we start rolling the camera so that when I'm when I'm filming, first and foremost, I have to be there for the actors, director first before an actor. So I have to make sure that they're confident, they feel comfortable, they're clear about what's going on and and so they can perform well. Um, then my my performance is more of an afterthought, but I've done the preparation. So, you know. I so the preparation just, as a as an actor is part of what comes first, but also like you shot list and storyboard everything. You get like super specific. Cause I remember like with Miss Purple, you were there was a little bit of like the the DIY, like grab the camera, run out in the street. I don't care. Like we're gonna get it. Yeah. Like that didn't fly yeah. this time. Like how did how did that work? Well, I shot it things out like several times, but then you leave it open to the moment, you know, like you do you do allow for things to change quite a bit when you're filming because that's what feels, uh, you know, what's going to make it feel organic. And in this case, make it feel real. You know, it's a hard thing to explain because it's like, it's just my process. And and I operate a lot off of like, if things feel right and it's very frou-frou, like, you know, it's <laughs> not like an exact science, you know, it's not, you know, and that's what art is. It's not, you know, I don't think art is just like, painting by numbers because then, you know, there would be no fingerprint on it. I have ways of doing things and maybe I could probably, you know, sit down and, and figure that out and articulate it better. But, but I don't, I don't like sort of like plan in that, in that, in that sort of sense of like, okay, we're going to put the camera here and then we're going to get this two shot and, and have that completely planned out because I would kill any spontaneity in the film. So you really go with your instinct for the story and you obviously know it inside and out, but you let that guide you. Yeah. And I plan for everything. Yeah. I plan for everything. Like I, you know, I go, okay, we are going to shoot in this direction. We're going to place the, the, the crane here for the, the, the lights. So the characters would be backlit, but in terms of like the performance or how they move or the blocking that you don't want to preset, but you plan for every single thing you can, you prepare for every single thing you can. So like the accent, I started preparing, like way in advance so that there wasn't, I wasn't worrying about that whatsoever when I was filming. If I was just an actor and I get hired for the film, you might have a month, you know, and you might be a little bit like shaky on the ice. Like a lot of things, those things were able to be prepared for ahead of time. So I, I uh, made sure that those things were taken care of so that, you know, things, things that we don't have control over, like weather, uh, we got flooded out of a few locations or, or, you know, changes in locations or, or, or actors getting sick or, you know, you can, you can deal with those on the spot. Must be real. I can't imagine the, the challenge of trying to address those things from a production standpoint, from the head of production mm-hmm. and still maintain that you're, you know, I got to act in these scenes today, these heavy, serious scenes, like, and live in the moment. Like Alicia Vikander is incredible in this. I like, she was incredible in Green Knight this summer too. Like, 
when did she come on board? And like, you guys have such a great dynamic, like carry this thing. Like, I'm really curious, like at what point did, did you have her in mind? I'm curious about that partnership. Yeah, absolutely. I had it in her mind. It's like, it was like a pie in the sky idea though, because she's Alicia Vikander, yeah. Oscar winning actress. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I wrote her a letter. I, I told her why I thought like I, I, she'd be perfect for this role, you know, and, and, um, you know, we had a few video meetings and, and discussed it and, and, uh, and she decided, you know, she wanted to be a part of it. It's, you know, I was like, so, you know, honored and, 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 um, elevated the film like tremendously, you know, just having her in scenes, it, it, it makes things so much more seamless because she's such a great actress and, and, you know, you really, me acting with her, I just have to just be present, you know, like she's, you know, there, there is a reason why she is who she is. And, and ultimately, you know, I, I was thought it was interesting because she is known for and is acting in things that are kind of not who, like where she came from. She is blue collar. She grew up in a small town in Sweden and uh, raised by a single mother and, and did not come from like this, you know, she plays a lot of royalty or like, mm-hmm. you know, corset dramas. And mm-hmm. that's not really how she grew up. I saw her first film pure where she did play somebody who was more close to ec- socioeconomic status of who she is. And, she had so much fire and, you know, and, and so human. And so I, I had no doubt in my mind that she'd be incredible. It was, you know, and also she acknowledged the fact that like, not a lot of people are coming to her with this type of Hmm. American blue collar, salt of the earth type of roles. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really cool. It was like exciting. I think for both of us, you know, I never worked with an actor of that caliber as a director and, and she was stepping into something that was, yeah, a new and unique in terms of like what she's been offered. But you're, de- I definitely think of you as sort of an actor's director. I mean, you've gotten some great performances yes. from a lot of people, and you seem to really focus on getting natural performances and giving them room to explore. And 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 I think that that's that's probably part of the fun for them. Curious about working with children, you know, like that's a that's a tough one. That's one of the things they say don't do. Like, was it I, this story? It has to be though, and it's part of the emotional underpinning. And I guess like that, that was always part of it. How, you know, casting from the production standpoint, just all of that. Was it a challenge? Was it, how did you approach it? Yeah. Um, I've worked with children on every film and it is challenging. <laughs> it's its own, <laughs> it's its own art form, you know, it's yeah. its own set of skills and, and know-how, you know, what I would say is that again, preparation is very key because you have to create the sandbox sandbox for them to play and yeah you know we only had her six hours a day because she was six and she was filming that she's eight now but six hours a day and she's like a big character in the film Mm -hmm. is quite challenging so you have to be realistic about coverage you have to be realistic about how you spend your time you can't get too fixated on details like you have to move you know i did you know i spent a few days with her and her family in her at her home in atlanta and then we did about two, three weeks of rehearsal in New Orleans. The rehearsal part is absolutely integral to working with kids. Yeah. Because if you're trying to adjust them on set, you don't have the time. Mm. You just don't have the time. Um, and then, you know, helping her understand why each scene was taking place, her understanding, not just saying lines, but understanding emotionally why we're doing these scenes. And then just giving her 
room to play and, and not being too restrictive because she's a kid, you know, like once you start getting too specific about like, Hey, no, you should do it like this or that. They'll get fixated on that. And then it becomes unnatural very quickly. Mm. So it has to be a lot of, there has to be a, a lot of sense of play. It has to feel like she's free to do anything and make any kind of mistake. There's, there's no mistakes. If you want to get a performance like the one I got, it just needs to be like, she doesn't need, to, you can't give her too many boundaries. So how do you direct them? Like you try and go off what they're doing and, and encourage the things you like. Like if you were giving me, if you, if I was like, I'm going to direct kids now and something, would you be like, here's how, and I, but I'm not getting what I need. Like, how do you kind of guide them? Because you can't address them the way you would address an adult, right? Well, well, that's why the rehearsals are important. Because yeah. if, if you address that in a playful manner and slowly steer them in that direction. See, here's the difference is that if you are telling a kid, you need to do it like this on the day, they're going to, they're going to clam up. If you, over the course of a month are rehearsing with the child and you don't say that right away, but you go, Hey, what about this? Mm -hmm. What about that? And you, it's not a, a command. It's just a suggestion. And you slowly start to naturally steer them to there over the course of a month, rather than a course of two minutes. Right. You're probably going to get, you're probably going to get a, a much more desired effect. So that's, that's, that's my advice is that like, you know, you do it in rehearsal and not like they'll do it. A kid, a talented kid will do it, but it won't be fully realized or felt. Yeah. I wonder if that on some level applies to adults, <laughs> like as you were describing it, I, was like, <laughs> I wonder if that's kind of how it works with the adults too, to, to, to some extent, with, like giving them yes. time to explore. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yes. I would say like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount yeah, the, the need for that for adults as well. <laughs> your career in virtual production starts here and now. Earn your spot on tomorrow's set with Synapse Virtual Production in LA by enrolling in RIT's immersive 10-day course this June. An exclusive experience in LA, you'll get the foundation you need to grow your career in a virtual production studio, the kind behind the groundbreaking effects seen in Disney's The Mandalorian and Marvel's Avenger films, Limited seats are available. Learn more and enroll today at vpritcertified.education. That's vp.ritcertified.education. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So the big thing with this, you know, it's a beautifully made film, but it's about a real issue a real problem. Mm -hmm. Like, and you researched this, we're aware of it and dug into it. And we're like, Oh my God, this is a crazy actual thing that happens. Like people brought over here, adopted, didn't have proper citizenship, et cetera. Can you tell me about tackling that as a filmmaker? You know, there's making movies as an artist, exploring humanity or like you do a lot in your films, but then there's also something, you know, there's a political element this is a time where th these are issues that are at the fore of people's minds. Obviously, an important story and, and agenda, but I, but it's bold, you know, to to make this, to finance it, to push it through. And like you said, being an actor who has to like stand, be a standard bearer for it is a, is now a thing. So I'm yeah. curious to hear your thoughts on that and where it goes, kind of from here, and what your hopes are. 
Yeah. It is scary, you know, and it is like overwhelming and, and, and challenging, you know, ultimately I'm telling a story about something that is happening to real people. So, you know, first and foremost, this is in service to them, you mm. know, to the, 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 the adoptee experience and, and, and especially the, the adoptees that's dealing with deportation. You know, I think it's ludicrous because these children were bought here is, is, you know, you know, children and infants and, and they had no say in coming to this country and they were brought by U.S. citizens. More importantly, that the U.S. government acknowledged these adoptions and also legally allowed them, hmm. you know, to be brought as children. The fact that that as adults now, 20, 30, 40 years later, that you would say that they're not legally allowed to stay in this country is absolutely not acceptable. So such it, an it, injustice, it's, a, it's such an obvious injustice, right? That to exactly. have like the, the government say like, yeah, yeah, go right ahead. And then be like, no, nah, yeah, get out of here. Like, it's just so ridiculous. It's so hypocritical and, and it ruins lives. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so, you know, I wanted to do the film, I wanted to do the issue justice and also this community, but I'll never know what it's like to be an adoptee or that experience, and, and nor do I claim to know. So, you know, I I tried to do everything in my power. You know, I, I met with, I, I spoke to immigration lawyer. I, I um, you know, I uh, had five different adoptee consultants vet the script and also make sure that they felt it was up to standards for them. You know, but it's not going to make every adoptee happy. You know, it's not going to, sure. it's not going to be to the level of uh, satisfaction for everybody. And I, can live with that, you know, I, but I, I do know that I have tried to be as responsible and, and, and did my best where it goes from here is I would love the whole goal is for some change to happen. I'm not political. I don't, I'm a dummy when it comes to politics. I couldn't tell you even how like elections properly work in the primaries and all that. Like it's confusing to me, you know, like, but what I do hope is that the right people watch this. It gets to the right people, and and we can partner with the right people to get it to those people for some sort of legislation change to happen. Otherwise, why make the film? You know why? Like, if I didn't have that in mind, you know what? What's the purpose of this? Like, I I think it is to help those people and allow some of them to stay, and also for people to come back to this country that have been deported. You know, and this I, is I would this say story even- is for them. Yeah, even just to recognize that this is something that's happened, a lot of people would have no idea. Like just bringing awareness exactly. to an issue, you know? Exactly. Nobody knows, you know, like even within like my community where adoption is like a huge sort of presence in our in the Asian American community, uh, most people don't know. So how do I expect, you know, anybody f- anywhere else to know, you know? And and even amongst the legislators, you know, maybe some of them, they don't know that this is, something important and you know how legislation works it's like it's it's about attention it's about you know making it something that's like important and immediate that is those are the issues that get taken care of first yeah you know otherwise they just there's so many things to deal with i'm sure in government that that in politics that that you know just falls by the wayside i think yeah, you say you're a dummy in politics, but I think that I mean I don't I'm no expert, but I think that's an accurate summation is that like whatever people are most riled up about is going to be the first thing on the list to some extent. Yeah. So you bring attention to something, people realize there's this great injustice. There's a chance that it becomes a topic, a flashpoint. I'm uh, you know running out of time, but this is really exciting. You know, premiere can people are talking about this movie and it's great. Where uh, your career 
you've kind of forged this writer director career. You've done it kind of the D and the early ways, the DIY way you're making stepping stones. Are you still like what's coming next? And like, what's your, where do you see your path? You know, as a filmmaker after this, do you have a bunch of other projects you want to do? Or are you like, you know, I, I it, like, I want to move on to bigger budgets or do you like want to go smaller again? Like what's your kind of next step? Cause we've been watching obviously. Yeah. And of course we're talking to, you know, no film school, no film school right? uh, and, and, you know, that, that, you know, no film school is, was a, absolutely a huge resource for me, you know, like uh, starting out and reading those articles about, you know, how to, how to just even like use a tripod or, you know, like, <laughs> right. but, but, uh, you know, I will say that, yeah, I have been DIY my entire career. My first three films uh, has been DIY and surprisingly enough, this blue Bayou, you know, even though it's with, you know, more major players like Macro and E1, it still was the same spirit of DIY. It was my same yeah. team. We had the same energy. It was a family atmosphere and like, you know, everybody help each other, like fuck, you know, like departments and all that. Yeah. And um, I did right after this, I did do a bigger budget television show for Apple that was much bigger, you know, based off of a book called Pachinko. And I did half of the season and that was absolutely nuts. I block shot 260 pages, you know, like, you know, over the course of, I don't know, like, you know, seven months and it was nuts, but it was still DIY because I brought some of my team and, and and I, I didn't care when things got late. I was still like, I'm moving. I don't give a fuck. I'm moving the C stand over here. We're going to start like, I don't give a shit like about you. That's just the spirit you bring to what you do. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you know, so part of that will always be a part of me because it needs to be a part of, it needs to be this collective energy when making film that I love where we're in it together. Like we're all like supporting each other and it's a family. So, and I just finished shooting uh, two days ago. I finished shooting my latest feature about an Indonesian father and son. And and I worked with this, this Indonesian rapper named Rich Brian. And, and um, it is definitely, DIY. it was very DIY <laughs> as well, but it was a bigger budget than uh, Miss Purple and Gook and Man Up, but it was probably a little bit less than Blue Bayou. And it was very yeah. DIY and same sort of mentality where I'll go from here is probably a mix, you know, um, you know, I would like to get some more resources to, to tell bigger stories, but it doesn't mean I'll change the way I, the yeah. way I operate. And I will, I will balance that with making projects that are very, very small that I have complete autonomy and, and is like an uncompromised vision. Yeah. Well, it's great to talk to you. I'm excited for, for the movie and all you're doing. Love your energy and spirit. It's always fun. So I appreciate you. you coming on and congratulations with the film, Justin. Well, thank you guys so much for doing this. Really happy to have you. We're so thanks for being here. Yeah. We like being had. We like <laughs> <laughs> So I guess my first question really is where, you know, Justin, obviously many people in our audience and in the world are familiar with you as an actor, prolific comedy actor. What made you decide now's the time to write and direct together, put together a feature film? Like, it seems like Mm -hmm. it's a sudden big change, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it, it it probably does appear that way. Although, it's less sudden to us yeah. because we had been doing small things together, making shorts and web series, and you know, writing pilots and things. But uh, yeah, Justin's known as an actor, but it was a little bit more of a slow build than it might appear. Yeah, it um, felt, it, it does feel that way. It felt, if, if anything, it feels like God, we've been 
trying to do this for a long time. And, and, and we were having so much fun making, we just loved writing together. And, and so then that, then it became, well, it'd be nice to write something that we actually make. And so that became short. So we started doing these shorts. We made a web series like Christian said, and, um, we just hadn't settled on a feature idea that we felt could be made at like a lower budget, something that we were felt strongly about enough to like invest as much time as you have to invest in in something like that. And then we, we married these two ideas, one of which was just us loving odd couple comedies. Like we've always loved, we grew up watching, you know, what about Bob and planes, trays and automobile movies like that were really inspiring to us. And we had this other idea for a, kind of like a comedic version of Psycho that didn't quite pan out. And so we just... Uh, <laughs> Who's the odd couple in your version of Psycho? <laughs> well, it was more about, yeah. It was like Norman Bates and his mother, who's like, doesn't drive him to murder, but drives <laughs> to like, just like be annoyed by her. Yeah, she's know? just like overbearing. <laughs> so it's just like a mom-son in a weird relationship. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Who, who like She's like, oh, you're not really dating her, are you, dear? And like... <laughs> From beyond the grave, you know, and he's like, "Oh, I can't escape this." Um, so she was beyond the grave. So there was yeah, a ghost yeah. element. Okay, so that's something yeah. you guys have circled for a little while, then, huh? Exactly. Exactly. So, so that became somehow morphed into this idea, which is, like you said, there's a ghost element, but it's it's more. It's not a mother or son. It's it's a tour guide and woman who she's portraying. It's like a right. reenactress. It's yeah. like one of those that you go on those tours where they're like, my name is Lady Blah, Blah, Blah. And I have right. lived in 18. So, so Melanie Linsky's character is playing that. And um, Judy Greer is the actual lady. Judy yeah. Greer is the actual lady. But Judy's character gets a little confused about Melanie. She sees Melanie living in her old bedroom and pretending to be her. And but, but then like smoking pot and like hooking <laughs> up with guys and like doing all this stuff. That, it's not very ladylike. She's like, who's this imposter? Yeah. You know? so right. she, she gets outraged. She's like, Judy's character is personally offended that like, she's like, I don't want people to think that I behave this way, like a, like a miscreant, you know? And, and so then they, they have, a, they work out a deal where um, Judy's character agrees to leave Melanie alone for the most part, or let her have some space and not interfere too much as long as Melanie behaves properly like a lady. And so it, it becomes them helping each other out. And like, that's how they grow. So writing comedy is like in a lot of ways about creating situations like that. That you can milk over time, create right. like irony between them and like the jokes flow. Does it start for you guys with like that odd couple pairing? You're like, what's my odd couple going to be? What's my match? Like, is that kind of where the genesis of like all the drama is? Yeah, totally. I think with any odd couple, a good odd couple situation, once you have like a really clear definition of who these two people are, mm-hmm. then everything becomes easy. Yeah. You know? that, like that's the key making the two people very specific then you can kind of very like clearly different from each other to find and then it just it it, yeah kind of like kind of wrote itself once we knew who these people were very specifically and it it helped us too because like we said one of them is from a whole different era i mean so it 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 was there was a built-in cultural difference like there was society was so different that back then christian and i read this book called uh, an american woman's journal home Home. Why do I keep saying that? Home by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Stow. Uh, and we were, we read it just to get like, because we were trying to find the lady's voice when we were writing it, because we wanted her to have the vernacular of the time and use the proper, you know, yeah. And so, but we were, we were really struck by this one part of it where she says, 
Harry Beecher Stowe says, you know, a woman's place is no longer just in the kitchen. Now her oversight is of the utmost importance throughout the house and just about every room. So, and, and that was considered a progressive book at the time. It was a very popular one. So we, it really- Big step. A, yeah. Big step in there. Well, it was at the time. And like, so we thought that'd be an interesting thing to explore and comedically too. That, that Did you guys struggle at all? Like, I, I, I think that there's, how do we talk about this part of it? It's the South. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a time uh-huh. of the South, the antebellum South. Yep. So you're talking about comedy but certainly a charged era issues. And it's great that you, you, you walk the line very well. But did you talk about, as you were developing it, you were like, we want to focus on the comedy, we want to focus on the characters, but did this stuff sort of like, well, we could dip into so many things. That's a really good question. Yeah, you know, I, my memory of it is that we didn't realize the potential charge of it until <laughs> until we were making it. And then we were like, oh, uh, this isn't a problem. But but I think we were so committed to, I mean, we weren't make like making a historical epic. It's like a fart, sure. light fart comedy. So we, we just didn't think it, but if there were any, I mean, to your point, if there were any, if there was a message or an idea that had some kind of like, charge some relevancy and i i think it's we're on the right side i think we're on a a, a good side of it you know like a, a more progressive message rather than um oh yeah things were great back then and yeah. they, <laughs> uh, if know, only they could just return. yeah we definitely we definitely were like we definitely wanted to get the point across that there is a there's change that is very necessary and change that is good but also if you're thinking too much about that then you probably don't find it very funny <laughs> <laughs> we probably didn't do our jobs because that should yeah. be like way in the background. Yeah, that, that should have been like a Trojan horse. Like, but instead of a Trojan horse, it gets them through like fart jokes, you know? Right. But it's fascinating that like whatever uh, comedy is a great, is a perfect Trojan horse, like you say, to introduce people to ideas. But, you know, when you're talking about ghosts in the South, you know, there's, <laughs> there's so much there. Yeah, um, no, you know. know, well, the ladies, that character actually happened to be very, very progressive for her time. So, right. Was, I see that you kind of looked at it that way too. Yeah, the book. Yeah. yeah. Which was not, which happened. I mean, there's examples of that, and and there's also examples of you know you know progressive people not allowing that progress to happen. Which yeah. Is, which is what the Tanners kind of represent. You know. Yeah. One thing that like uh, comes to mind to me is Blythe Spirit. Did it have oh, any kind God. of impact on you? Did you think about that at all? That's funny, funny you say that. It, I didn't I think didn't. about it, but our mom was in a production of that when we were kids, so yes. we were really familiar. Oh, wow. So maybe it subconsciously was oh, influencing us. Oh, my God. In fact, I, I probably was. I probably was. You know, because I have such indelible, that is such an indelible too, performance yeah. of hers. I, I don't remember that much of my mom's stage work, but that one, it was one that really stood out. Yeah. It was, it's, I can that's, access really easily. That's, that's interesting. interesting you say that. I, well, I, I it, it comes curtain. to mind because it's kind of like, I mean, having been a theater kid myself, it seems like one of those standbys of like, you know, good situational theater comedy, but totally. also, you know, you guys choosing to write female characters in comedy. That's an interesting choice for male comedy writers to be like, and you say like fart comedy, like it's well, just, you know, you stepped outside of yourselves. You looked at it, you read a book by a woman to kind of get your idea of like, and, and I think you did a great job of it, but it's, it's, you know, the easy thing to do is not that right. Well, some of our favorite 
comedians are women and comedic performers. Like we are huge Kristen Wiig fans, uh, Terry Garr, we love, I mean, Madeline Kahn, I, I, Bernadette Peters, we, some of my favorite, I just, they're such great. And we knew between the two of us, such great actresses. So we started thinking, and as much as we wanted to do this like odd couple movie, we had seen it before. There, there was so many, we wanted to do it something slightly different with the genre, which to us felt like putting women in, in this position and having them do fart jokes. And yeah. Jokes. <laughs> Did and you so write for Melanie and Judy? Well, no, in fact, we were, we wrote for specific people in our lives, but not necessarily act. They weren't actors. But I think the whole time we uh. knew that we, we had access and knew these funny women. So it, wasn't specifically them, but they were among funny people that we knew. Yeah, and, and it's interesting when I, I remember when we sent it to them, when we sent the script, we I like I had worked with Melanie a couple of years earlier and, and on, on a drama and a serious movie, but I found her to be so like I immediately loved her. I, we 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 bonded right away and, and we were laughing all the time. She was just one of the funniest. She's hilarious. I've She's yeah. Just, <laughs> she has such an innate comedic sensibility about her. So I, I knew she was funny, but he, even knowing that and we knew Judy of course was so funny she'd been on our podcast and but but even with that knowledge sending it out to like classy actresses this script that like you said it has a lot of you know like kind of filthy whatever <laughs> kind of juvenile stuff I guess you could say we were the we, best stuff the best our favorite <laughs> stuff don't get me wrong but we were afraid they might be a little squeamish and they told all that stuff they love that's the stuff they really embraced I mean they embraced the whole thing but like that's the stuff they that I could tell they were like excited, excited to do. To do. Hadn't yeah. done. And I mean, honestly, from my perspective, just like seeing that it was before I even knew much of the plot, knowing that it was Melanie and Judy Greer, I was like, oh, they're both great. Like they oh, need great. to be in more stuff. I think yeah. everybody feels like they both need to be I like know. headlining more stuff. So build. Totally. So I thought, I wonder if they were like, you know, who's awesome. Like, it, but but you just it didn't work. It was more like you had this idea and they connected with it. So. They did. They really wanted to, to do something like that. I think uh, we were so, so. And they're like it. both always the highlight as supporting actresses and everything they do. Right. So it's like, yeah, why not have them be the two leads and like be awesome throughout it? You know, it's like, and so fortunate for us that they wanted to do it. Well, they, they also, because they are so such good actors, they, they also brought, uh, they grounded it in a way that made it like, to, I don't think it was in the script. It, it, they made it so much more heartwarming. There was a real connectivity that they had with one another. And we saw that happen right away. I and mean, it was really touching to us to like witness them, not even on screen together, but just like off screen them, them bonding and making each other laugh. And like, cause it's, I think at the heart of any good odd couple buddy comedy is a, is a romance is like some sort of romantic element. And I think that's true of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Movies like that work because you can tell that the, the characters really, deep down, really enjoy each other. And, and Melanie and Judy had that for sure. Chemist, real chemistry. chemistry. Yeah. Tonight, only on Disney Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. I'm wondering, you know, directing them and just and being in it yourself as well and just directing stuff you guys wrote, how do you approach your directing 
process and working mm-hmm. with actors and and you know like you've been on set a ton you guys have written together a ton but for those out there who you know directing actors is kind of like a mystery box of directing there's a lot you can learn about where you're supposed to put a camera but yeah. how you talk to actors is like a whole art unto itself like what's your well, approach i mean th- this is gonna sound cliche but i think it's trusting people around you and listening to people around you and learning from people who are like really, really good at what they do. And then it becomes a series of making, like constant series of making decisions. That, that's what I was so struck by. It's like little decisions, mm-hmm. big decisions, like in between decisions. But it was always, and that's something that we had to get better at, like being definitive about what we wanted. I, yeah, I but, it, but it's the, ultimately, it's the collaboration. It, it's, it's being open to ideas from other yeah. people and making it a process. And in terms of talking to actors, I think what you learn really quickly is this is something I kind of figured out on other sets, but you see how different all actors are, how, how mm-hmm. different uh, this, different sensitivities, different uh, approaches to the, to the material. And it's just a matter of being able to talk to people. I mean, it's a matter of being able to navigate those different personalities and communicate effectively within that one person's own limitations, I, I, I guess, is is everyone is so different. And, and I think, like Christian said, you have to be really open and sensitive to... Like giving space. Uh, yeah, everybody. I think it helps to be kind. It helps to be like uh, open to... I know it sounds maybe kind of like a hippy-dippy answer, but I... Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, you know. well, you've been directed a lot. You know, you've been yeah. you've watched a lot of directing. So, yeah. and I'm also I'm curious, like, you know, your brother's... You're, you've written a bunch of shorts together. You've kind of had this, you, you've known each other your whole lives eff- effectively. Like, so what's the, colla- what's the collaboration? Like, uh, there's a lot of brother filmmaking teams, but like what, you know, do you guys find, I'm just imagining, you know, you're like, hey, that part of what about Bob we always loved. Let's kind of recreate the magic. Like, like what's the touchstones you guys have? Or are there conflicts? How do you resolve them? You mm-hmm. know, like, do you yeah, just wrestle it out or yeah, we wrestle? Yeah, <laughs> we wrestle. We, uh, no, we, we're just, we're very aligned creatively. I mean, we're, we're, it's funny, like people who know us well think that we're very different people because we have different approaches and, and we just come off differently. But in terms of what we find funny and yeah. good, like we're just creatively, we're just so aligned that there's rarely conflict. And the fun part was mapping the story out and like coming up right. with scenes and, and yeah, like referencing classics like "What About Bob" and 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 remembering people from our youth who yeah. like oh like this person did this funny thing when we were kids right let's put that in the movie and then once we had it all mapped <laughs> out it was fun because we would just take turns we would alternate scenes and then just send each other the scenes but oh that's cool we just kind of split it up scene by scene and then we'd revise each other kind of but it's hard, if you read the whole thing yeah. it's hard to I think it's hard to see like. Oh, weird. From one scene to the next, it doesn't feel like different writers. Yeah, that's true. I, I forget, in fact, sometimes which scenes. Me too. I Me totally too. forget who wrote But it's what. fun to do that. I've done that before myself. It's fun to do that when you get someone else's stuff and you're like, oh, this is fun. I didn't expect yeah, yeah. him yes, to do this. Totally. It makes you laugh or something. And and it's like you are at any time on a show like this or just hanging out with your friends. You know, one of the, I love those moments when like the funny idea is introduced and people play off of it and, and it kind of evolves and it gets either funnier or maybe, maybe somebody drives it into the ground and it, <laughs> it disappears. But that's kind of, that was kind of our approach to the writing, you know, was to, to either expand on, on a funny thing or in, Christian's very good at like, he's more efficient as a writer and 
And so I think he 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 would kind of rein me in a little bit if I, if I expanded too much. But we like we keep an eye on each other, you know. Do do you guys use any sort of writing templates, tools, like mm-hmm. books? Like, did you go by any of the standbys, or have you been workshopping together with your shorts and stuff so long you feel good about like structure? Like, uh, you know, I read that Save the Cat, which is uh-huh. like the the big screenwriting. And I remember feeling really overwhelmed by how the specificity of it, like by page nine, you have to do this by page 12 is that, and I was sort of like turned off. I mean, I know it's like really smart and like it does like, you need to follow the structure obviously, Uh, but no, I mean, we, we had like a very vague three act structure in our heads. And I, I think our biggest goal was to make the third act as funny as we could, because so often and even in really good comedies, the plot gets so involved that it, right. gets, it often gets in the way of funny. Mm, that, so we try to minimize the plot so much that it's like, there's enough that it makes it a movie, but right. it doesn't step too much on the comedy. We, that was our goal. We wanted to get out of the way of that central conflict as much as possible. We didn't want to overwhelm it with all these other, oh, and, you know, plot points, which is what yeah. I'm thinking about our favorite odd couple of comedies. And that's really what they have. There's a simplicity to the, not only the structure of this, this diametrically opposed personalities, but the environment that they're in, it's, it's, it makes it very clear that it's just these like planes, trains, automobiles, just a guy trying to get home and a guy trying to befriend the guy. It's like really clear. And and yeah, to use, yeah, to use save the cat terminology, there's a section he calls like fun and games or something. And I remember Mm -hmm. thinking, reading that, I think shouldn't, a lot of the movie be fun and games, right. not just yeah, like not, a, not just like three pages. Right. Like, shouldn't right. they, That's like so what you, I love hearing you say that because it makes me think about the comedy, other comedies I love, like Airplane. Like, plot isn't really yeah. the key, right? No, <laughs> I know they're on a plane that's like going down. It's like that's it. It's yeah. true. And you don't think about it. You don't think like, I know, but what really happens in airplane? It's like, <laughs> unless you're a have zero sense of humor, unless you're like, humorless. Yeah. You're like yeah. but where's his, uh, you know, atonement with the father? <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> but, like, I see that with a lot, especially more modern comedies. There's, it gets overwhelmed by plot and there's this drug deal that's going to go down and they're going to, and then the third act just becomes like an action movie. <laughs> right. Like, two really funny people that aren't being used properly. Totally agree. I love that. I love that you guys took the approach to it that was like, we want to get out of the way of the dynamic we're creating. Especially when you have those two. I mean, especially when you have Judy Greer and Melanie Linskin. And we like, we would sit there sometimes and just like forget to call cut because we were like just enjoying them as actors. Get out of their way. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So I've, I've got to wrap up, but I'll ask again. And, you know, I often ask people, you know, what their advice to other filmmakers would be. But I'm also really curious, like you guys, you, you waited till you found something you really wanted to do and get behind. But yeah. now, like, are you going to do more? Like, are you or are you kind of like, like, where are you in terms of like this? You know, we want to make more comedies and we like we want to explore other concepts. Like what's your where are you guys? We really right? want we do. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we, we have, have a comedy at, at Ben Stiller's company at Red Hour that we've been trying to make for a couple of years. And we think we're hoping that this might if people see it, we hope that it'll be easier to make that other because It's a little bit bigger budget. And then we have this other idea we're kicking around. So, yeah, for sure. We I, I mean, as 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 much work, it was fun work. It was that kind of like really fulfilling fun work and it's something that we are itching to do again i think for sure and like next time we i think i'll be better at managing the emotions of the i mean it's such a roller coaster making a small movie made that it's uh it's hard not to get too high and it's hard not to get too Mm -hmm. low and 
So I, I'd like to think that I'm going to be a little bit more even keel on the next one. Not well, that I was like a maniac, well, you're, but I, hopefully <laughs> I want to reduce my stress on the next one because it can be stressful for sure. Oh, we, yeah. Prescription now. Yes. Prescription <laughs> that, that's my real problem. Yeah. Yeah, well, I hope it does because comedy is like a lost art in the feature film format. We don't see enough of them anymore. And I hope you guys keep making them because yeah, I like your approach. Really kind of you, George. Thank Thanks. you. We, we Thank too. you, guys. Thanks for, Thanks. Thanks Thanks for getting the word out, too. Yes, we will try. Thanks, George. Later. Thank you so much, Justin and Christian Long and Justin Chan for coming on the podcast. Thank you to everyone listening for continuing to listen. Please be sure to check out both of the films. Head over to nofilmschool.com and read about these things and so much more in the world of filmmaking, education, news, and tech. We have tons of other great interviews. We've got some stuff coming up in the coming weeks about Dune, the epic sci-fi novel adapted into a major motion picture by Denis Villeneuve. Can't wait to talk to Joe Walker, the editor of the film, about how they took on this Herculean sandworm-sized task. Be sure to check that one out. And of course, listen to our weekly episodes as they drop every Thursday morning. Yeah, that's when they drop. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>